one of the things that I have found is um, I have found when it comes to following Christ, oftentimes we have an idea of what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, but then he doesn't do it that way. And the problem for many of us is this, is that when God doesn't do things the way that we want him to do things, then we end up in the place that we don't know if we can trust him anymore. And I firmly believe that many of us are often asking this question, well, what do we do now? What do we do now when this this thing hasn't happened the way I wanted it to do? What do I do now? Like you need an answer because that answer is somehow gonna give you strength. It's gonna give you peace. It's gonna give you confidence in your life. Let me tell you, there is no answer that you're gonna be able to comprehend about what God is trying to do in you and through you that's gonna give you peace. It's only Christ that's gonna give us this peace. But all the same, I believe that the disciples were full of vision for the kingdom of God. I think about it. They had walked with God before they had gone, before Jesus had gone to the cross. They didn't really know or understand how that was going to happen, but they had walked with God and Jesus kept telling them, tell others about what you see and what you hear. Even when John was in, in prison and he sent his disciples and, and asked them, hey, should we expect someone else? Are you really a Messiah? And he said, go back and tell them what you see and what you hear. And what they saw and what they heard was amazing. They had heard some of the most amazing truths about the kingdom of God, about how God's plan was to save us and how he loved us. And you could imagine their brains were just exploding with these new truths about the kingdom of God. And what they were able to see was they were able to see people getting healed. They literally saw people being raised from the dead. They saw multiplication of of, of feeding people, 5,000, 4,000, multiplying at left, right, center. Their brains were just exploding. They had seen the most amazing stuff and they had heard the most amazing stuff. But suddenly, God changes it and he decides to die on a cross. Now, it'd be easy for us to go, well, we know that he's about to be raised from the dead. No, that's knowing the end of the movie so you don't need to be scared about what's going on. But the fact is, they didn't really know if Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. So can you imagine those three or four days where they were in that tension of, is this for real? Is this really happening? What is happening to us? Why is everything falling apart? Everything didn't go the way that they thought to and their very master, their very God, their very friend, their very brother died on a cross. Have you ever lost someone in your life before? Have you ever had someone die? I've had people die in my life before and it certainly makes you second guess life sometimes, especially if they died in such a way or at a time where it shouldn't have happened. I remember my pastor's son being killed in a car crash because his car skidded and went under a, tra- a, tra- went under a semi-trailer and it sheared off the top of the car. And I remember just being devastated about the calling of God that was on his life and now it was snuffed out. We've had many people in our church who are, where they've died or something has been removed from us, even marriages have died or your, your business has died or, or relationships have died and things have died in your life and now you're at the place of, well, what do I do now? Because everything I thought was going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. So what do I do with this now? And today what I want to do is I want to look at what Jesus did. At the end of the teaching, I'm going to do look at what Jesus did to respond to that. But I also want to look at the behavior of the disciples about how they reacted to this traumatic news that things didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. How did the disciples respond? Here's the first way that they responded, and it was this. 
On the evening of the first day of the week, it says in John 20, verse 19, it says, when the disciples were together with the doors locked. Now, why would Scripture decide to tell us that the doors were locked? It's not really an, an important piece of information, it seems, but it is because it's telling us where their mind is at and where their heart is at. It's telling us that they decided to lock things down. They decide to say, I ain't losing anything more. I'm not losing my life. I'm not losing my family. I'm not losing my business. I'm not losing anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna lock stuff down. And the fear of losing tends to make us tighten our grip on what we already have, right? When you've lost something, you tend to tighten your grip around what you already have. Let me conserve everything that I have in my life. I'm not here to criticize them, but what it does is it reveals to us and it reveals to them that we are more control freaks than we thought we were. No, 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 it's all about you, Jesus. It's all for you, Jesus, until you ask for something that's important to me, until you ask for the people who that I love dearly and you ask to take them away from me. Do we really trust Jesus? Do we really trust what he said to us? They locked stuff down. The second thing they did was this, that they believed that someone or something else was bigger than God himself. Because it continues on, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. It wasn't that they were in fear that God was gonna take more from them. It wasn't that they were in fear of anything else. They were in fear of the Jewish leaders, which I totally understand, right? Because they had the proof to fear them. Why? Because the Jewish leaders had assassinated Jesus. I wonder if this also goes to explaining a little bit more of why racial tensions have still existed. And even though we have told many of our black brothers and sisters, no, just get over it. Just stop, listen. If you've had the experiences of being rejected, neglected, hurt and brutalized, then of course it's gonna still exist within us. Well, I've got enough proof to believe that I should fear other people. Here's the disciples in the exact same place. And so therefore they came to the conclusion that God wasn't big enough to stop those that they feared. God wasn't big enough at all. Sometimes I've been in this place where I start then mandating to God, if you really loved me, then you would do this thing. If you really loved me, then you would do it this way. How many of us have done that before? Or when you're in deep trouble, then what we do is we negotiate with God and we say, if you do it my way, then I'll become the person you want me to. If you just give me that marriage back, I'll love you more. If you just give me a salvation in my life of, of, of healing me for sickness, I'll definitely serve you, God. I've heard this from people so many times who start negotiating with God, but God doesn't negotiate his plans, right? Here's the third way that I see that they, the, what their response was. They went back to normal life. This is a big one. This is a really big one. Now watch this. John 21, verse one, it says, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, now watch that, after Jesus appeared again, so he had already revealed himself to his disciples, he had to go, hey guys, I'm here. And they were all like, wow, that's amazing. Like, put your finger in my thigh, put it in my hands. Like, oh, this is creepy and weird, right? So they had already seen the risen Christ. But watch this, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. That's an interesting phrase. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. They were all hanging out. 
Here's Peter. I'm going out to fish, lads, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, you might say, well, it's okay for them to go fishing. Everyone goes fishing. Pastor Matt goes fishing all the time. I keep telling him, you can buy the stuff in Publix, but he refuses to buy in Publix. He just keeps going fishing, right? But they went out fishing. Why was this significant in my mind? Because not so long before that, he had told Jesus, I gave up everything for you. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, it says, Peter answered Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Then where did he get his boat from? Where did he get his boat from? Did he borrow a friend's boat? No. Theologians believe he went back to his own boat because he hadn't actually gotten rid of his boat. It's so easy for us to tell God, we're all in with you, but are we really all in with God or do we actually have something that has been laid back? Do we have something that is a plan B with God? Following Jesus will test everything that you love. Let me say it again. Following Jesus will test everything that you love. You don't really know how committed you are until you're faced with having to give that commitment. Mike Tyson, the great sage of the world, said this. He said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Even when we go into marriage, we're like, through thick and thin, through good and bad, I will always be there for you. Then why do we often go through these thoughts and these experiences where we're like, maybe I shouldn't be in this? We have done this with God too many times. And often what happens is to get over the loss, to get over the disillusionment, to get over the disappointment, we then bury ourselves in everyday life. We get rid of the supernatural life of faith and we bury ourselves in normal life. Peter went back to fishing. What have you gone back to? What have you considered giving up on? What have you considered going back to? So what's happening here? This is what I think is happening here. Here's the challenge and the transition that Peter and the lads went through, right? Here's the challenge they went through. They actually had to decide what I believe versus whom I believe. And there's a, there's a thing that happened here. And it's this, that sometimes that what we believe is more about what we're expecting from God. That means we become very results-oriented. Generally, I wonder if the church has done this, you know, the capital C church where we have promised so much fruit and blessing in your life if you just do these things. Let me tell you, God owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us nothing. We owe him obedience is what it comes down to, right? We owe him faithfulness. We owe him trust. He is a good God. We don't need to have proof that he's a good God. He's a good God, whether he does things or doesn't do things, whether he does things our way or doesn't do things our way. But whom we believe is when the what must be superseded by the whom. And if you don't have the what being superseded by the whom, if this whom doesn't supersede the what, then you're destined for disappointment. Why? Because God's not gonna do things your way. The amount of times that's happened to me 
Even with this whole building project, right? Five years ago, I felt God say, go expand the church. And I'm like, well, go expand the church. And every time I tried something, I got shut down one thing after another, after another. And I remember in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. I'm sure many of you go through that. Couldn't sleep. I got up in the middle of the night and I was angry with God. So I decided, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to let it all out. He needs a piece of my mind, right? So then I get up and I'm like, don't tell me to do something if you're not going to back it. I believe that for every vision, there's got to be provision. Where is the vision? Where is the provision? You've given me vision, but you've not given me any provision. This is not fair. This isn't even my church. This is your church. And that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's not even my church. It's his church. So he gets to do whatever he wants. The question I've got for you is your life, your life, or does it belong to Christ? If it belongs to Christ, then he can take it down any path he wants. It belongs to him. Here's the good news. The good news is I believe that Jesus gets it. He totally gets this whole thing. Jesus already has a plan for you. You're online with us right now. Wherever you are in the world, I want you to know that Jesus has a plan. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And here's the good news. Jesus gets it. He knows we go through trial and tribulation, but there are three things that I believe that he did with the disciples when they were going through this trial and tribulation. Because remember, Jesus had already revealed himself to Peter, but Peter hadn't gone back to following Jesus. He went fishing. He still hadn't completely trusted Jesus once again. Here's the first thing he did. He took time to show himself. He took 40 days before he decided to go up to heaven. So he called up, he called up Pastor Dave and he's like, Pastor Dave, I want to hang out with you, bro. I'm going to get some fish and we'll get some wine and we're going to hang out on the beach. We're going to have a party on the beach. No masks required, right? So let's do it. And Dave's like, let's do it. What was Jesus doing? He was taking time to reveal himself once again, to build up their trust. Here's the second thing he did. He told them to be patient. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he said this. It says, I am going to send you what my father has promised. What was that? Well, we now know that was the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. What does the word stay mean? It literally just means be patient. Be patient. You may not have seen everything that you want to see, but stop losing sleep over stuff that you can't control. You can't control this stuff. Be patient is what he was telling his disciples. Don't ditch the church. Don't ditch each other. Don't ditch the relationships you have. Be patient and trust whom you believe, not what you believe. Hello? Trust whom you believe, not what you believe. Now that doesn't mean you, you check your brain at the door and just went, well, I just won't believe anything. No, we have to search the scriptures in order to understand God's ways, but God's ways are not things that we're really designed to completely understand. That's why we have to understand that we've got to trust Jesus, not what we think about Jesus. Here's the other thing. The third thing that I believe is really cool. I believe that Jesus was setting up connections around them. I believe that Jesus is setting up connections around you. How do I know this? Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's telling them about when Jesus walked the earth, how he died, how he was raised from the dead and how he was here for 40 days uh, hanging out with so many other people. And he says, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. 
What does that tell you? Jesus is already preparing all the things that we need. Don't check out on what God has called you to. Don't check out on the vision that He has put in your heart. God is already putting the right people in places. He's just not giving you a DM about it. He's not updating His Instagram or His Facebook in order for you to know minute by minute what He's doing. You have to trust Him directly through the Holy Spirit. If you can trust Him directly through the Holy Spirit, you'll know this. You can grow in confidence of knowing He's putting everything in place that I need for the future. Everything that I need. He's given me hope. He's given me confidence. He's given me resources. He's given me angels. He's given me a plan to bless me, to prosper me, not in the way that I want it to go, but He's putting everything in place that He promised that He would put in place. 500 people. Imagine if there were 500 people around you right now that were praying for you, who were planning on giving you the resources that you need, planning on giving you all the support that you needed, would you have more confidence? Don't have confidence in the 500 people. Have confidence that Jesus is putting everything in place. He is preparing us for what He wants to give us. What does He want to give us? The power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want us to be encouraged. I want us to see how this moment of disappointment that may have come into your life, especially this has been manifested since 2020, am I right? How many of us have gone through disappointment? We've gone through mourning, we've gone through loss, and we're still in that moment of, we know that God's gonna do good things, but we still went off fishing. I want you to be aware that you have got to give up everything that you love and just lay it at the feet of Christ and say, I'm all in again. Let's stand this morning. Father God in heaven, we want to declare once again that we trust you. We trust your son and we wanna ask for your forgiveness that we've not always trusted your son. We've often pulled back and reserved ourselves from giving you full love because we're a little scared of you and we don't know what you're gonna ask of us next. Father, we want to be all in once again. We want to go big. We want to sail the boats. We don't want to go back fishing. We want to be fishers of men. I pray, Father, you would fill our hearts up once again with vision. Renew our love once again for the one who's already shown us how much he loves us. And we ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you.